um, sort of started a new sermon series titled Heart Health because it's, uh, you know, it's men mental health is spoken of more and more these days, and, and it's good, it's important, but you never hear about heart health. And so last week I gave the introduction to that, and I made a rather bold statement. I said, you can focus on heart health and address all the labeling, all the issues, all the diagnoses that you want, but if you never pay attention to heart health, I really believe that ultimately you'll get nowhere because I think so many of our mental health issues actually stem from heart or even begin in the heart. And this book is amazing. It's a pit, it, this book is just story after story, true stories of people who, if they, had, if they were alive today, like this guy we're going to look at today, I'm sure they'd be labeled with all kinds of things. You've got narcissists in here, people with NPD, narcissistic personality disorder, BPD, borderline personality disorder. These people had issues. And the way they overcame their issues was they paid attention to their heart issues. They didn't limit their issues to matters of mental health. But God instructed them to pay attention to heart health. And that's where they found healing and deliverance. So, today is part one. I'm going to talk about a man in scripture who is just absolutely mind-blowing. Make sure you're here next Sunday for part two. These two Sundays go together, part one and part two. But I... Here's what, here's what, here's the background. When my brother was here recently, we had so many good talks. We loved to talk. We just, we hiked and talked the whole entire time. And he said to me, Faith, did you ever hear dad's take on Judah, Jacob's son Judah? And I said, yeah, that's like one of his best teachings. But it's been years since I've read it. He wrote an article about it. And so he was telling me, how it impacted his life. He had just had a talk with my dad, and my dad told him about Judah. And just hearing Paul's recounting of that and seeing the emotion and the way it had forever impacted my brother's life, I thought, I need to look into this again. So that was a few weeks ago, and I've just been marinating in this story because I wanted to internalize it and not just regurgitate my dad's insight, but really just come to own this truth for myself. So here is the question of the day, and let's solve this great mystery together. The question is, did you ever wonder why Jesus is called, in the book of Revelation, the lion of the tribe of Judah? You just think about this for a minute. J Jacob, can you put that picture up there, Rebecca? Jacob had 12 sons, right? So just background, if you read the lineage of Jesus, Matthew spells it out in the beginning of Matthew. He starts with Abraham. Abraham had Isaac. Isaac had Jacob. Okay, Jacob was Abraham's grandson. And Matthew, when he's given the genealogy of Jesus, he says right there, right around Matthew 1, verse 2, I think. It's right there in the beginning. He says, and Jacob begot Judah and his brothers. And then 10 generations later, you see that a great-grandson was King David, and from King David came Jesus, the Messiah. 
Did you ever wonder why on earth a character, if you know his character, like Judah, got to be the, the ancestry of Jesus? We're going to look at that today. It's mind-blowing. I mean, if I were writing this story, okay, so we had Jacob. He had two wives, Rachel and Leah, and then each of them had a maidservant, and he had kids from them. Look, just a reminder, just because they did stupid stuff in the Bible doesn't mean God endorsed it. They did it. Wasn't God's idea. In fact, God had said, don't be, inter don't be multiplying wives to yourself. Okay, but that's, that's not part of the story. The fact is, Jacob, he wanted Rachel. He got tricked. That's a whole other story. He, had to, he was forced, according to custom, to marry Leah, the unwanted wife. He had to marry her first. And from Leah, he got all these kids that you see on the left, including Judah. So think about this. Judah was the fourth born of the unloved wife. The rejected wife. This is how Judah's story starts off. He does not start off very well. Before he was born, it was going all wrong. His mother was the rejected wife. But then Rachel, Jacob marries Rachel, the one he really wanted in the first place, the beautiful wife, the one, his favorite wife. Jacob's got a thing with favorites, as you'll see. So Rachel's his favorite wife, and of course, her two children in the blue are Joseph and Benjamin. Guess who Jacob's favorite sons are? The sons of his favorite wife. So he's got the favorite wife and he's got the two favorite sons. Listen, speaking of mental health, study after study will show you, if you haven't experienced this, parental favoritism will ruin a person. It will follow them for the rest of their life if not dealt with. Being the unloved sibling, the lesser sibling, so wrong, so, so terrible. And these were human beings in the Bible, and they were guilty, and so was Jacob. So Jacob had, everybody knew it, the favorite wife, the favorite two sons. Well, before Benjamin was born, the favorite son was Joseph. I'm sure you're probably familiar with the story. Joseph got the coat of many colors. He was clearly the favorite child. So much so that all his brothers hated him. But if you know the story of Joseph, if you've just followed his life and you know that story, why wasn't Jesus descended from Joseph? Did you ever think of that? Why on earth is it not Jesus Christ of the tribe of Joseph? Or maybe even Levi. I mean, the Levites, they were, they, were, they were it. I mean, in the temple, they were the singers, the worshipers. They, they carried the presence of God, the, you know, the, the ark. Why not the tribe of Levi, at least? I mean, anything other than this loser we're going to talk about today. If you think of Joseph, he was what his brothers would have considered the goody-two-shoes of the family. He never did anything wrong. Joseph was one of the characters in the Bible that was the favorite child of his father. And you could almost wonder if maybe God really especially liked Joseph too. I mean, he endured to the bitter end 
He was such a prototype of Jesus in so many ways. Leadership, forgiveness, saving, rescuing an entire nation from starvation, providing them with bread. So symbolic of Jesus, the bread of life. There are so many reasons Joseph should have, perhaps, been the ancestor to Jesus. He was so good. You cannot find a thing he ever did wrong. Have you ever felt like kind of the foster child in the church? I know this. I'm well familiar with this. <laughs> I've lived this story. Like I'm not quite as squeaky clean and shiny as what a friend of mine used to call the lovelies. <laughs> the lovelies in the church. Never did anything wrong. Just never, you know, just just so holy. Like, like holiness, they just are able to just never say anything stupid, never screw up in any way. They're just kind of like, you. have you ever looked at people honestly and, and thought, wow, look at their life, look at their, their record. God must really especially like that person. But look at me. I mean, God's got to put up with me. I'm, the, I'm that other child, right? I'm that other sibling, you ever felt that way? I know it. I know what it is to feel that way. I've, I'm very well acquainted with feeling like the bumbling idiot a lot of times in the church. I kind of have always walked to a different beat. I know it's a shocker. But, you know, I just, from the, from the get-go, I just, it's like I came into the church, into the family of God, and, there, you know, so often I have felt like the child at the table that's like, oh, I'm going to do something. I'm going to say something stupid. I just know it. I'm going to mess up. I'm, I'm. Joseph was never that. Never. He was the favorite child. The favorite. So why doesn't he get to be the ancestor to the Messiah? One would think Instead, we read Judah, the tribe, the lion of the tribe of Judah is the nickname for Jesus the Messiah. Well, let's look at Judah's story and see if we can uncover why. It's quite the story. You're probably familiar with a lot of it, as I was, but just meditating in this story, as you know, when you go back to the word every single time, if you, if you read it meditatively, you can get so much more out of it because the Holy Spirit is there to point out more that you didn't see before. So if you go back to Genesis 37, an old familiar passage, I'm going to be paraphrasing a lot for the sake of time, but you probably know the story. Joseph's out tending the sheep. Maybe Jacob's getting worried about his favorite child, so he sends the brothers, the ten brothers, I don't think Benjamin is born at this point. He says, go find, check on Joseph, go check on your brother. Well, they can't stand Joseph. He's the favorite child, and the thing is, he knows it. He, he's a little immature when we first learn about him. He's bragging about these dreams God gives him. I mean, that's the thing. He's so squeaky clean. He's so... He's so um, such a lovely 
child in the family of God. God gives him dreams and visions about his future. He's prophetic. You ever look at people in the church and you're like, wow, I wish I could be so spiritual. I wish I could be that spiritual. I wish I could be that gifted. I wish God would like do stuff for me like he did for Joseph. Joseph has these dreams about his future and he really kind of makes the stupid mistake of telling his brothers, hey, yeah, I had this dream and all of you were bowing down to me. <laughs> that's, his, that's where he's at when we first meet him, his maturity level. He, he, and so, of course, they hate him. They just can't stand him. He's a braggart besides being the perfect child. He's a, he's a braggart, right? So his dad, his, his poor innocent Jacob, sends the brothers, says, go check, after, go check on Joseph. So they go and they're like, oh, yeah, let's go check on Joseph, right? So they, they plot, they hatch this huge plot that they're going to kill him. They're, you know, they just cut, that's just, hey, now's our chance. Let's finally uh, off him and we'll make up this story and tell dad that a wild animal killed him. You know, and it was Judah, it was Judah I want you to, I, this has got to sink in. Let this sink in. Because this tells you about his, something about his mental health. Remember, all the brothers know Joseph's the favorite. And they hate him for that. It's Judah who has the idea to do this. Genesis 37, 26 says, So Judah said to his brothers, what profit is there if we kill our brother and conceal his blood? In other words, there's nothing in it for us if we just kill him. Let's at least make some money out of this. Come, let us sell him to the Ishmaelites. One of the earliest accounts of human trafficking in Scripture. This is the kind of person Judah is. You've you got to let this sink in. You've got to have some major mental health issues to sell your brother into slavery. I can understand the jealousy, the hatred, the envy, but to sell your sibling into slavery, to traffic him like that, that's messed up. So it's Judah's idea. This is how, we, how he starts out. He says, let's sell him to the Ishmaelites. Let not our hand be upon him, for he is our brother and our flesh. So there's a twinge of a conscience there. But it's his idea, and what does he do? And the next verse tells us that Judas actually sells Joseph for 20 shekels of silver. Who was the person in the New Testament that sold Jesus for, for was it 30 pieces of silver? Did you know, by the way, Judas is the Greek form of the word Judah? That's very important to this story. Judas, who sold Jesus for pieces of silver, is the Greek form of the word Judah. So at the end of these two weeks, we can think about what might have come of Judas had he paid attention to his heart, as Judah did. Such a sad, sad story. And, and these two men in Scripture with the same name end up so differently. Though they started out quite the same. So there's his first major mistake. He sells, sells his brother into slavery. 
he's just got, from now on, he's just going to have a list of wrongdoings. I mean, he is living out his identity that he's created for himself. I'm not the favorite child. Joseph's the favorite. I'm a loser. I might as well just live that life. He is owning this identity for himself. So Genesis 38 verse 1 says, It came to pass from that time that Judah departed from his brothers. That's a huge statement right there. I don't need my family anymore. I don't need these brothers. I definitely don't need this father. He certainly never needed me. So he leaves his family. That's the next mistake. And not only does he leave his family, he marries a Canaanite, a pagan, absolutely forbidden by God to marry these foreign wives who worshipped idols and were involved in child sacrifice, the whole nine yards. He knew better It's like in a deliberate act of rebellion and take that, dad. He leaves the family and he goes and marries this Canaanite woman. He's really creating a bad track record for himself, this Judah. So he marries her. He has a son named Ur. He has another son named Onan. These two sons are so bad Must have had something to do with Judah's parenting. I mean, when both sons are so bad, God just takes them out. And they had to have been really bad. We don't know what they did, but it says they were so wicked, God took them out, both of them. So he has a third son, Shelah. And what happens was Onan, the second son, had refused to... There was, there was the custom, the leveret marriage, just in a nutshell. The law was if a man dies and he leaves no son for his wife to raise, to carry on the family name, then his brother, by law, was obligated to marry the widow so that that son could carry on the deceased man's family name, right? Onan refused to do that. And so God took him. I mean, it was a, hu- it was a serious offense that he, he refused to perform the duty of the Leverett marriage. So here's poor, here's poor Tamar, Judah's daughter-in-law. Okay, Tamar is Judah's daughter-in-law, okay, by the first son, Ur, or Er, E-R. Judah has a third son named Shelah. He's way too young to, to perform this Leverett marriage duty for Tamar. Judah makes a promise to Tamar. He says, you come live in my house, and when my son Shelah, your brother-in-law, when he's old enough, I promise to give him to you so that you can carry on, so the name of your your husband will will carry on. It's a huge promise that he made to Tamar, and he didn't keep this promise. And you you would just need to understand the time and culture of the day. This was a huge offense. I, it, was, it was a reproach. It was an enormous offense that this promise was not carried out by Judah. So Tamar, realizing that her husband's name is cut off, his lineage has stopped, her father-in-law Judah has not kept his promise, it says in verse 14, Genesis 38, 14, she hatches a plan. In Genesis 38, 13, Genesis 38, 13, it says, it was told Tamar saying, look, your father-in-law, that's Judah, is going up to Timnah to shear his sheep. So she took off her widow's garments, covered herself with a veil, and wrapped herself, 
and sat in an open place which was on the way to Timnah. For she saw that Shelah was grown and she was not and she was not given to him as a wife. This is so in keeping with Judah's character by now. I mean, by now we just realize Judah's basically a narcissist. He doesn't care about anyone except himself. He's willing to leave his brothers entirely, leave his family, go marry, marry this Canaanite women, defy his, the God of his, his father and his grandfather, defy the God of Israel. He's completely, uh, he, he just doesn't care about anyone except himself. Remember, he sold his brother into slavery. That's where he started. Remember that. Don't forget that. He was willing to sell his brother into slavery. So, of course, he doesn't really care about keeping his promise to Tamar. Of course, he's conveniently forgotten that and left her to be a, wid a widow with no heir, no son. And he doesn't care. But she does. And she remembers the promise he made to her. So it says in verse 15, so she disguises herself as a prostitute, okay? It says in verse 15, when Judah saw her, he thought she was a harlot because she had covered her face. Then he turned to her by the way and said, please let me come in to you. For he did not know that she was his daughter-in-law. So she said, what will you give me that you may come into me? He says, I'll send you a young goat from the flock. So she says, what will you give me as a pledge? Very smart woman, <laughs> conniving, sneaky, sneaky. What will you give me as a pledge? And he says, what pledge shall I give you? So she says, I want your signet and cord and your staff that is in your hand. She's very smart. His staff would have been likely carved by him. His signet ring was a stamp. It was basically his social security card, right? That was him. That, that's... That marked him as him, as who he was. That was his, uh, his main form of ID, was his signet. And then the cord was, you know, his belt or some item of clothing that belonged to him. She asks for those three things as collateral. I will keep these until you bring me the goat that you promised me as payment for playing the prostitute. Here's the thing. A harlot, I, this word, she's not just a prostitute. She's a, she's a cult prostitute. She's a temple prostitute of the Canaanite religion. I mean, not only is he going into a prostitute, but he's, he's given himself fully to this Canaanite, this pagan religion. He is just completely living for himself to the uttermost. Long story short, three months later, he, uh, he comes, he, he's looking for her with the goat, he wants his signet ring back. He wants his staff back. He wants his stuff back. He's looking for her. He says, hey, he asked, he asked the guys, where is she? Where's that harlot that's been sitting here? They say, there's no harlot in this place. And look at what he says in verse 23. Genesis 38, verse 23. Judah says, let her take them for himself, lest we be shamed. Typical, typical narcissistic speech. It's all about him and his reputation. I don't want anybody to find out. Better to just let her keep the stuff. Got to protect my name. Self-preservation. Not wanting to own anything. Not wanting to come clean. Lest we be shamed, he says. Lest we be shamed. For I sent this young goat and you have not found her. So he's ready to just say, forget it. You know, I guess she's going to keep my stuff. And hopefully nobody will find out. Three months later, verse 24... Judah was told, saying, Tamar, your daughter-in-law, 
has played the harlot. Furthermore, she is with child by harlotry. And what does Judah say? Oh, wow. My heart goes out to my dear daughter-in-law. I got to put her on the church prayer chain. Y'all pray for her. I mean, I just, I feel so much compassion for her. She's so lost. She's so broken. You know, I really want to see God heal her heart that she would do such a thing. Is that what Judah does? My dad actually says in his article about this, he says he reverted to his fundamentalist roots and said, bring her out to be burned. So classic, so commonplace in church history. The man who secretly, um, he's scandalous. He's, he's seen harlots, and at the same time, he's in the pulpit saying, burn her at the stake. She must be disciplined. She has broken God's law. Wow. Judah calls for Tamar to be burned, most likely stoned and then burned, if you read the culture and the history. Bring her out and let her be burned. He's quite the guy, isn't he? When she was brought out, she sent to her father-in-law, saying, By the man to whom these belong, I am with child. Whoa. Wouldn't you love to see that in a movie? <laughs> so dramatic. By the man to whom these belong, I am with child. And she said, Please determine whose these are. I love her sarcasm. The signet cord and the staff. She's so clever. And I'm not at all justifying her behavior either, but she's not the main character here. She's a Canaanite. She doesn't know the ways of God. Judah does. He's been given the covenant of Abraham. God has made a covenant with him that he has completely trashed to live his own life. Refusing to ever deal with the root of his sin, his heart issue, was that jealousy and hatred of a father and a brother. A brother who was so perfect and better than him and a father who knew it and showed it. It always goes back to something, doesn't it? Well, what's going to happen? She says, please determine whose these are. As she's walking to the stakes to be burned or stoned or whatever, she sends the stuff ahead and says, determine whose these belong to. Now, this is, this is Joseph's big, Jacob, Judah's moment. This is his turning point. Because all we know about him so far, everything we've learned about Judah says that at this point, he should have continued in his ways and he could have very easily said, are you kidding me? She's lying. She took that stuff. What's she doing? I mean, he could have easily accused her of lying, had her done away with and kept on living his life. He could have done it so easily. In this day, a woman's word meant nothing. There's not a chance anyone would have believed her. Not a chance. And she knows it, but she's about to be killed anyway. Might as well put the truth out there. 
he could have so easily kept being Judah or Judas. But something happened along the way. I don't know if it was during this incubation period where Tamar realizes she's pregnant, she's dealing with morning sickness, he has no idea, but maybe it was during that time somehow Judah started paying attention to heart health. Somehow Judah looked inside himself for the first time in his life and said, maybe the problem is me. Yeah, my dad was a screw-up. He really shouldn't have done that, had favorites. Yes, I'm angry and I'm bitter and I'm seething with envy and jealousy, but maybe it's killing me. Maybe there's a better way to live. Maybe all of my issues originate right here. And maybe I need to look inside and see where I need to heal and change so that I can start living a better story, the story that God wrote for me, about me, from the foundations of the world. We know that Judah had the most dramatic, drastic heart change, perhaps, of many people in this story, this collective story, because the next thing he says, he does not accuse Tamar of lying. He does not make excuses. He does not excuse himself. He does not say, well, you know, my past, my dad, my father, my family, my brothers, my sisters, my, my, my. He makes no excuses for anything. No self-defense, no self-justification. And he doesn't lie. He doesn't deflect. He doesn't evade. He doesn't put every, he doesn't blame shift. He doesn't put it on Tamar. He could have so easily, just as he easily washed his hands of his brother Joseph and forgot about him, why wouldn't he have done the same exact thing to Tamar, his daughter-in-law? She has sinned greatly. He could have so easily done that. It would have been completely natural for Judah to do that. But you see, we're not called to live a natural life. We are not called to live, in, live according to our base nature. We are called to live supernatural lives. We're called to think supernaturally. We're called to behave supernaturally. But we need the Holy Spirit's help. We cannot do it without the Holy Spirit. But that transformation has to start right here. It has to start right here. What does Judah say? His sin is found out. Verse 26 says, so Judah acknowledged them and said, he acknowledged the stuff was his, and he said, she has been more righteous than I. Wow. Tamar the harlot. Tamar the, the cult prostitute. Tamar the Canaanite. The same man who called for her righteous punishment, which was a, given by the law, to be stoned, now he's saying she has been more righteous than I because I did not give her to Sheila, my son. 
and he never knew her again. That word knew, it doesn't mean he never associated with her. It means that, you know, they never came together physically. So first, the first thing he does is he acknowledges she's more in the right than I am, and then he acknowledges his wrong. I never gave to her, Sheila, my son. I didn't keep my promise. That's transformation. That is a total transformation of the heart. Is it possible for a person, even your person that's had umpteen diagnoses and labels slapped on them by whatever psychologist, and I'm not discounting that field of study at all. I'm just saying transformation starts in the heart and begins with the Holy Spirit getting your attention and saying, hey, your heart has not been in your life. And it's time you put it in there. Get your heart in your life. Total transformation. Total transformation. Next week, we're going to find out what that looked like after his life was transformed. This is the point where his life is transformed. We see it evident in this statement right here. Completely owning his stuff. Complete and total humility. No excuses. That's the transformation. Next week, we're, we're going to see how that plays out when he goes back to his family, to his father and his brothers. It's amazing. She has been more righteous than I because I did not give to her, Sheila, my son. It came to pass. Twins were born to Tamar. One of the twins' names was Perez. It means breach or breakthrough. I believe this was Judah's breakthrough, and from this illegitimate child, Perez, came Jesus Christ, our Messiah. Lineage of screw-ups, basically. But that's the story of redemption. That's what redemption is all about. God actually can't use perfect people who never acknowledge their desperate need for him their desperate need for transformation, who never look into their heart and pay attention to it and cultivate it. I want to end this morning in Genesis 49, and I want to read just the first part of the blessing that Jacob pronounced on Judah as Jacob was dying. Fast forward, Jacob's about to die. He's old. He's praying the blessing or the curse on all of his sons, right? He gets to Judah, and this is what he says in Genesis 49, 8. And today we're just looking at the first part of this blessing. He says, Judah, Genesis 49, 8. Just remember, next week is coming. We're going to find out what all has led up to this blessing. This is the end of Jacob's life. This is what he ends up saying to Judah. Judah, you are he whom your brothers shall praise. Wow. Your hand shall be on the neck of your enemies. Your father's children shall bow down before you. So fascinating. Wasn't it Judah that was so angry and jealous and perturbed at his little brother about these dreams about all the brothers bowing down to him? And now all of a sudden, that same father who favored Joseph, is telling him, Judah the loser, Judah the screw-up, hey, Judah, your brothers are all going to bow down to you. You are he whom your brothers praise. Judah, your hand is going to be on the neck of your enemies. Judah is a lion's whelp. 
From the prey, my son, you have gone up. He bows down. He lies down as a lion, as a lion who shall rouse him. He's calling out the conqueror in Judah's life at this point. Judah, you're a lion. You are a lion. The king of the jungle. That's you, Judah. Your neck is your hands on the neck of your enemies. And then he says this very strange thing. And this is where I want to land and focus this morning as we go into communion. He says, the scepter shall not depart from Judah. Now he's prophesying. This is a, me a messianic prophecy. Now he begins talking about not just his son Judah, but the Messiah. The scepter, that's the king's scepter, shall not depart from Judah, nor a lawgiver from between his feet until Shiloh comes. Shiloh means peace, heavenly peace, the prince of peace. He's talking about the prince of peace. In other words, Judah, from your lineage, from your descendants, there's always going to be a king on the throne of Israel until the king of kings, the Messiah, the prince of peace, until he comes, and to him shall be the obedience of the people. And verse 11 is what I want us to take with us today, verse 11. Because this was Judah's secret. And it's your secret and it's my secret. Genesis 49, 11 says, and Jacob is still speaking about Judah. But he's speaking about you and he's speaking about me. And he says these very symbolic words. He says, binding his donkey to the vine and his donkey's colt to the choice vine. He washed his garments in wine and his clothes in the blood of grapes. Why am I crying at such strange words? Because you see, Jesus is the vine. And that donkey speaks of our stubborn nature that we can't seem to change on our own. We can't seem to get right. Right? What did Judah have to do? He had to bind his donkey to the vine, the choice vine. What did Jesus say in John 15? I am the vine. You are the branches. If you abide in me and my words abide in you, you shall ask what you will. It shall be done unto you. Abide in me and I in you, for the branch can do nothing of itself unless, it's a, unless it abides in the vine. Judah, you will never change unless you bind yourself to the vine, your source of life, your source of strength your only hope of transformation. How did Jacob know this? Jacob is telling Judah, Judah, you did the right thing. You did the only thing that was the only hope for you. You bound yourself to the vine. That donkey nature in you, that stubbornness, that narcissism, that self-centered way of living, you bound that to the vine. He's speaking prophetically of Jesus Christ here. Binding his donkey to the vine and his donkey's colt to the choice vine. I'm not sure exactly why it mentions his colt, but I know that I want to pray prophetically for my youngsters, my colts, that they would bind their lives to the vine. Because that's their only hope for ever dealing with this DNA, <laughs> right? This stuff they get from me. Sorry, kids, but there's this vine, there's this source, there's this life source that gives us hope for transformation. We can be free 
from all of our issues. And it goes on to say, he washed his garments in wine and his clothes in the blood of grapes. Jesus is the vine. He's our joy. He's our life-giving source of freedom. It says, his eyes are darker than wine, speaks of clarity of vision, and his teeth are whiter than milk. First Peter 2, 2 says, as newborn babes desire the pure milk of God, that you may grow thereby. There's a simple summary in these very strange words that Judah is saying, that Jacob is saying to his son Judah. He's simply saying, Judah, you've done exactly what you needed to do. You didn't continue on in that stubborn donkey nature of yours, living for yourself, in that hopeless down spiral of, of behavior, destructive behavior. Judah, you bound yourself to the vine, Jesus Christ. And you let him transform your heart. And now you've got clarity of vision. Your eyes are darker than wine. Your teeth are white. Judah, you keep feeding on that truth. Keep feeding on the word. And that's how you will grow. Into that new identity that Christ gives us. Dave, I'm going to ask if you could get the lights, and um, we're going to go to the Lord's table in closing. We're going to go to the vine this morning. Who of you would say with me, yep, I've been that stubborn mule, yep, I've got that donkey nature, yep, I've lived according for the, that, I've lived after that for too long, yep, I've given into that, yep, that's been my identity, yep, everybody knows it, yep, I've even been called it, I could even say the other word for donkey, yep, that's me, yep, but today, I'm binding myself to the vine, Jesus Christ, I'm binding myself to him, because he's already bound himself to me, on the cross, so I'm coming to him today, bringing my nature, my issues, my heart. And maybe it's a broken heart. Maybe it's a heart that needs to be made whole. But there's this vine that's running free and full of healing and cleansing for you and for me today. And if we want to, we can bind ourselves to that vine like Judah did. Judah's story is my story. And it's your story. And it's a wonderful story. Because yes, he made ridiculous mistakes. He should have never went to that prostitute. But if he hadn't, the Messiah would not have been born. Let that sink in. God is a redeemer. He's a redeemer what he can do with your life and all the choices, yes, even the bad choices. He's a redeemer. He's a redeemer. All he asks is, come, bind yourself to me. Abide in me. Live in me. And I will wash you. I'll cleanse you. I'll change you. I'll transform your heart. I'll give you a new identity. And I'll call you a lion more than a conqueror, more than a conqueror through Christ Jesus.
Nathan, can I call on you and Chris? Chris, could you come and distrib distribute the elements of communion? And I'd like for just, while these are being distributed, if we could just take a few minutes before the Lord and examine our hearts and come to that vine, bind ourselves to him. Judah's great, 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 great grandson, King David, wrote in Psalm 51, 7, after so many mistakes, scandalous errors, and just ridiculous, selfish decisions, David was another Judah. He did some things that were completely born of self-seeking but it caused him to lean into the Lord and pay close attention to his heart. So many times David mentions his heart. Search my heart, God. Cleanse it. See if there be any wicked way in me. Create in me a clean heart, God. Renew in me a right spirit. Over and over, David pays such close attention to his heart. No wonder God says of David, I have found for myself a man after my own heart. David said, purge me with hyssop and I shall be clean. Wash me and I shall be whiter than snow. Isn't it so good to know we can be cleansed? First Corinthians eleven twenty three. For I received from the Lord that which I also delivered to you, that the Lord Jesus, on the same night in which he was betrayed, took bread, and when he had given thanks, he broke it. And said, take, eat, this is my body, which is broken for you. Do this in remembrance of me. Let's eat together. In the same manner, he also took the cup after supper, saying, This cup is the new covenant in my blood. This do as often as you drink it in remembrance of me. For as often as you eat this bread and drink this cup, you proclaim the Lord's death till he comes. Let's drink together. Lord Jesus, we thank you for allowing your heart to be broken, torn apart, 
for our healing. We thank you for allowing your blood to be shed for our cleansing, our washing. For this we thank you today. Lord, I am coming to you and those with me here who would agree with me and say, yes, I bind myself to you today, Jesus. I bind myself to the vine. Without you, I can do nothing and I can be nothing that you have called me to be. So I bind myself to the vine today like Judah did. I will not live according to the identity that is my past, that is my decisions and my mistakes, that is no longer who I am. I bind myself to the vine in Jesus' name. And I thank you, Lord, that you have made me so much more than a conqueror. You have washed me and cleansed me and redeemed me and called me by a new name. Oh, thank you, Lord. If you want to agree with me and pray your own prayer out loud, go ahead. I just want to open up the floor for anyone else who wants to pray. Thank you, Lord. Thank you, Jesus. Thank you, Lord. Lord, you are good. We love you. You're faithful. We love you and we praise you. We thank you for hope. I thank you, Lord, in the name of Jesus. I declare it and I speak it. No one who came in with a broken heart or an identity that is a lie from the enemy in the name of Jesus, no one leaves here today without a heart that's healed, washed, cleansed, made whole. Lord, help us to get it like Judah did. Help us to get it. Help us to seize hold of that truth that like we sang, I belong to you. I belong to you. I am the favorite I am the favorite child. Lord, you do have favorites, and it's every single person you created and every single one sitting here today. How you love us. How you cherish us. God, I pray that we would know it so deep in the core of our being that it would transform us completely. In the mighty name of Jesus Christ, Lord of glory, Prince of peace, Lion of the tribe of Judah, I pray. Amen and amen. Amen. So next week we will do part two and see what happens to Judah after his transformation. <laughs>